Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 67. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I wanted to ask that if you enjoy this podcast, would you please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes? Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and let me know there what you think of the show. The ratings and especially those reviews truly help your fellow book lovers find the show in iTunes. So thank you for spreading the book love. Today's guest, Eli Sykes, is a food scientist. He describes his job as getting to eat snacks all day. So I think it's safe to say Eli is living the dream. We've had a lot of English majors on the show, but today we get to look into what it's like to be married to an English major because you guessed it, Eli's wife is one, or maybe I should say one of us. Today we discuss a certain author a lot of us love around here, how a teacher sparked the reading flame in his heart and exactly what book fanned it, and how he just wants more Mr. Collins in his reading life. Let's get to it. Eli, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, it is so good to talk. We don't talk to many food scientists around here. Well, I guess it's kind of uh, a strange job. I I mean, I eat food as my job. (laughs) Wait, are you serious? Because that's not what they're teaching my kids in science class. Well, I guess there's a lot more that goes with it. But uh, sometimes I will find a piece of chocolate and I'm like, what if I add this chocolate to this? I bet it will taste great, so I better try it. Are you being serious? I am being serious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so see, I'm thinking, hmm, my kids might be a lot more interested in learning the periodic table if they knew snacks were involved. Okay, so what is it really that you do in a more technical description? Well, not super technical. Have mercy on me, the liberal arts major, but (laughs) you get what I'm asking. Absolutely. Uh, So as a food scientist, I work at a small snack foods company and basically someone's going to dream up the snacks that we see on the shelf and and they don't always just show up perfectly. So you have to run through a lot of experiments and when you're creating them, you have to make it work for the customer too. So you're constantly handing them products that they would like to uh, try and you try them as well. (laughs) It's it. It's a lot more technical than that. That's that's the dumbed-down version. I appreciate that. Eli, what do you do when you're not snacking? Well, I love hanging out with my wife. She's a grad student. She studies English at the university here. I make her a lot of food, so that's probably why she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I like to read. I like to run, and I like to, uh, I guess, spend time... It's going to sound dorky, but as part of my job is uh, cooking, so I'd like to spend a lot of time cooking. I think that sounds awesome. Okay, so you're married to an English literature grad student. How many years into this is she, and how close is she to done? Well, she's going to graduate this year. Okay. And uh, she's been in it for a year and a half, and she's she's working on her master's degree, and then possibly a PhD after that, so... She reads a lot. I would consider her a reader. I I am not quite on her level. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. The reason I'm asking is because some people who are either in 
English programs or married to English programs end up having a more uh, tumultuous relationship with books and reading than they ever expected going in. So I was just wondering how that was going for you especially, but for her as well. So for for us, she's reading and, it, you know, essentially I have to be doing something and usually I'm reading in comparison because, uh, well, there'd be a lot of time just sitting on the couch by myself watching Netflix otherwise. Uh-huh. So when you are sitting on the couch not watching Netflix, what do you what do you like to read? What does your reading life look like? I have actually really kind of struggled to find out what I want to read. Um, it makes it really hard for her to buy me gifts. And I have enjoyed some nonfiction mm-hmm. and I have enjoyed a lot of fiction as well. So especially when her grandmother's trying to buy me a gift, she has she's a English teacher by trade and so is her grandfather. So when it comes to figuring out what I want, they don't actually quite know. And I'm not even sure if I quite know because it usually takes the experience of reading a book and not being able to put it down to say, I really like that book. But I I couldn't tell you, I like that genre of books, essentially. I read uh, recently the book about the Lusitania. Uh, Yes. Deep Wake. Is that the one? Eric Larson? Yes. I, okay. Yes. I think he's from around uh, here. Oh, I didn't know that he was in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, he's a Seattleite. And I also read um, by him The uh, Devil in the White City, uh-huh. which I really liked. And I couldn't put it down until I finished and I knew what was going to happen. Okay. So Eric Larson, gripping nonfiction. Got it. Have you always been a reader or is this something you came to later in life out of necessity? I mean, obviously you had to read in school, but was it something that you liked to do as a hobby or was it something you did because you were forced to? Well, as a kid, I wasn't much of a reader until I had a teacher pull me aside and she said, you know, you really need to be reading more. And I'm just not sure if you're reading the right books. That's probably why you're not reading. So she handed me some Jules Verne, yeah, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and it was it was another one of those experiences where I was like, I I have to know what's going to happen here, and I was like, well, what else has this guy written? And and then I learned he's like a hundred and fifty years old, so <laughs> <laughs> he had plenty of books. How old and were you at the time? I think I was, I think I was nine. And and this whole experience of, of reading books like really just lit up for me. I'm going to read – I read Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne as well, Kidnapped, Treasure Island, so all these adventure books. And uh, I also loved reading um, some, some – uh, I, I would guess I would call them picture books. But did, did you ever read Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? It's so good. And I think we say that phrase on a like weekly basis at my house because we have kids and it's some at some point in every week. There's a time where you need to talk about how things are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, even in Australia. <laughs> well, it, I, I feel like I could pick it up today and be like, well, I woke up and, I, and I, I'm not sure if that was gum in my hair, but my hair was sticking up to the side. And I slipped as I came out of bed because I had no covers and, <laughs> <laughs> and just things aren't working out well. But I think that book in particular really kind of shaped 
me as an adult, which is kind of strange because it's not a very long one. And it, I, I'm, I'm not a person, I guess, because of this, it, it, I, I don't think of days as being very bad. You know, I like, okay, everything could be at least a little bit better. I didn't get my uh, toy in the in the cereal box, but <laughs> I, <laughs> but I do have a job and ha- have a beautiful wife, and life is pretty good. So, are you saying that Alexander helped you frame your relationship with your daily life? I would say Alexander did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I also I loved reading Shel Silverstein uh, as a child. We had to read poetry in school and stand in front of everybody, and I picked some Shel Silverstein. It was natural. Did that make the experience non-traumatic? Because that sounds oh. kind of rough on a on a kid. Well, I I love attention. Is, is that <laughs> terrible to say? I think it's honest. <laughs> as a kid, I was the same way, and. If I could stand in front of the crowd and say something and they would laugh, it was perfect. I, which is strange because my wife is terrified of such situations and she wants to be a teacher. And I'm, I'm the one sitting in a lab <laughs> by myself. Okay, so I have to ask, what's your stance on the giving tree? Love it or hate it? Or somewhere in between? It just makes me sad. I just... I want that tree to live. It's a love in the sense that like I remember picking it up in that big green cover uh-huh. and and just being able to flip through it. And and I did have a tree in the backyard of my house when I was a kid and I had a swing on it and and it was a place where I would play with my brothers and and it, it was all all those memories. So so good but sad. Okay. I think <laughs> I think the if there is a correct answer, the response to do you love it or hate it might be sad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, somehow that book has come up a lot this past week in my personal conversations. I'm not really sure why. All right, Eli, for reasons that will soon become clear, I can't wait to dive into your favorites. So you know how this works. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Eli, what's your first favorite? Well, this is going to sort of sound strange, uh, but I love Pride and Prejudice. Why and is that maybe, strange? Well, I don't know. As a as a guy, I, I guess it's not one of your usual top picks. You know, okay. there's romance. There's it, it, there's you know strong female lead. I, I don't know. It's it's a it it's not something that I was like well growing up and playing a lot of soccer and, and getting a lot of bruises thing saying to my other, you know, buddies, let's read Pride and Prejudice together. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I totally gave the English teacher answer. And I have to admit, when I saw that a man loved Pride and Prejudice, and I love that you said you weren't just saying that to get on the show. Nicely done. Um, yes, that did get my attention because it's not what I see every day. So yeah, what landed it on your list? I think it, Part of it has to be that I listened to it on Audible with Rosamund Pike, oh, yeah. and she was amazing. Was that the first time you'd read it, or was it a reread with Rosamund? I'd picked up and read the first chapter before, but that was about it. And she kind of made it alive to me. Um, my, 
I have to say this. My favorite characters are Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Collins. So <laughs> not your typical sort of likes of Pride and Prejudice, I think, as well. What do you love about those characters? They are so so real, but then, like, they have these <laughs> – they make me laugh, okay? So Mrs. Bennett always popping in, and the voice that, I guess, Ro Rosamond uh, gives her is just perfect. It's like this high, squealy voice. <laughs> <laughs> And um, there's just people like that in your life. I, I can't point anybody out because I think that would be uh, that would be rude. But uh, <laughs> point taken. <laughs> I will see like a Mr. Collins uh, in a conversation. Maybe they're at the Verizon booth or something like that, talking to somebody. I'm like, you really want to bore someone to death with your uh, <laughs> with your reading next to the fire of uh, some sermons that you want to read or <laughs> mrs bennett telling her kid you know y you've got to get these uh you got to get these earrings because it's going to be that boy that really likes <laughs> those earrings and like it just like why don't you do that why don't you like him why don't you like uh, uh this this kid that's going to improve your uh your your status I, I and it's not really talked about much these days i guess I'm cringing when I think of overhearing the guy at the Verizon booth or the mother-daughter in the mall. Yeah. They crack me up. I don't know how many times I was listening to it, and I just laughed, just flat-out laughed. Had to go back because I was missing things. And uh, I, I think it has something to do with Jane Austen's voice in that. Her voice is always musical, and it feels like every word has a great purpose. What inspired you to pick up Pride and Prejudice in the first place? It's one of my wife's uh, favorite books. One of my wife's, sorry, wives. <laughs> <laughs> one of my wife's favorite books. <laughs> um, she loves it. She's read everything by by Jane Austen. And she wants to study, uh, if she used to continue her work, she wants to study more 19th century British women's authors. <laughs> How did she feel with your reaction? Oh, she loved it. She wants me to read more. So <laughs> we, uh, well, we had to, we had to get Audible, and now we have to have the subscription now because uh, she wants to read more and listen more of Jane Austen because it does actually make you think about it differently. Uh, then the the rhythm is different, and the, and having someone else's voice is uh, reading it for you does does help me. I guess uh, can keep pushing through on paper the rhythms are so different from how we write and we speak today and just having especially Rosamund Pike say it in your ear it just it doesn't feel awkward anymore when it can on the page a little bit what were you expecting when you started that book well I expected it to be great and I had my doubts obviously but I expected since I had read at least the first chapter I knew that Jane Austen could possibly change my life. And, and if you go into something like that, with that sort of attitude, you're, you're not constantly doubting it. And you're really actually enjoying it. So you said something in your email about how you want more Mr. Collins in your life? I think besides Mr. Darcy and and Elizabeth Bennett, he's, he is one of the characters that actually 
makes the novel great. My husband and I have this conversation a lot about how so much contemporary fiction, and this might be so much fiction in general, there is one plot, one story. Sometimes there's a very obvious subplot that has been woven in, and it just doesn't feel complex. But not that's not to dog modern fiction, but it's saying like, oh, well, when you contrast that, I, I can be reading the story and think, what is this missing? I'm not really sure. But when you talk about the details of Mr. Collins and Mrs. Bennett and Charlotte Lucas and her mother and all that. It's like, oh, oh yeah. it's just so rich. Okay, I don't want to totally fangirl, but I, because I do love this book, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, more characters to storm in and change everything. It's not a tall order or anything. Have you read <laughs> any more? Have you read any more, Jane Austen, since your Pride and Prejudice experience? Well, I, I didn't read Pride and Prejudice until last year around, uh, Christmas. Actually, what what happened? And I had to be stuck in a car for 12 hours because of an avalanche control on the pass. I listened to most of the whole thing and I haven't quite found an, another Austin that I've picked up because I have so many books that I want to read. I think I would try Persuasion if I was going to try the next one because it's short. It's short. That's funny. I don't know if I realized that. Well, you got to pick somehow. That sounds good to me. Does your wife approve? Anything that, I, that I'm <laughs> reading, she approves. You can do no wrong. All right. That's a good place to be in. What's book two? My second favorite, and and I got to say all my favorites are things that I've read within the year and, the last, and last year. So my second favorite is The Berry Giants by uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh-huh. It's a fiction um, it's about a quest of an elderly couple that have lost their son. That's the real basic. But there's dragons, there's knights, and I didn't expect Ishiguro to write a novel quite like this because of the ones that he's written in the past. It, and that's what made me pick it up off the shelf. I was like, this is, this is about, this is about a, a knight and and dragons and an old couple. This this doesn't seem like him. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read The Berry Giants, and I am really surprised to hear that description because I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what he usually writes, and I was not expecting you to say the word dragon. Right. He he writes so beautiful, and he has such a great voice, and he knows how to invest in his characters. And I, I, I'm not dis, dissing... Uh, fantasy but sometimes it's more like let's get the sword out and let's start destroying things that's not how this <laughs> was that's not how this book uh, rolls it's very uh it's very melancholy at the beginning and it's just and it builds it's like it has a pulse it beats faster and faster until you get to this struggle at the end and it, it and the struggle was real for me at least okay now i'm intrigued i heard um a variety of reviews on that one from people who loved his previous work. And there was some disappointment among some people, which made me not want to rush out and get it. But now I'm totally intrigued. It's a book where you have to digest it afterwards. Those are the sort of books where I'm like thinking about it a week later and you're like, wow, I really, I don't know what happened there, but okay, I'm going <laughs> to roll with it. <laughs> I like books like that. And I especially like when I know it in advance. When first you just need to take it in and then you just need to sit with it and see. See how you feel about it later. 
Well, I definitely felt full afterwards. <laughs> oh, I'm tempted to make some joke about snacks, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, Eli, what's your third favorite? My third favorite is Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. Tell me about your experience with Unbroken. Unbroken for me was my honeymoon book. And it was the beach book. And it was another one that kind of distracted me from honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> Which is high praise for a book. Yes. <laughs> it, and I love all the elements. I love how she writes so cinematically. Like, I didn't need to watch the movie because I read her book. Then I read uh, Boys in the Boat afterwards. I kind of felt like those went hand in hand. Uh -huh. It's like I'm reading some World War II uh, nonfiction, these two work really well together, especially since I'm from Washington. My grandfather also uh, fought in World War II and was in the Pacific, so it kind of put me there with him a little bit, and it opened up some conversations that I, I didn't know about. He's he's 93, so any kind of conversation I can have with him is good conversation. Oh, Wow. So interesting. Have you read Seabiscuit, her previous book? No, I haven't. Okay. I would. Okay. So if you're anything like me, so I live in Louisville where we have the Kentucky Derby and like horses are a really big deal for two weeks a year. And yet, like, I just didn't care. I didn't want to read a book about a racehorse. And I think we've talked about Secretariat on the podcast before, but it's just, it's such a good story. She's an amazing storyteller. I would really recommend picking it up and giving it five pages and see if she doesn't suck you in. And also, if you want to read something else by her, because she has uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, which is why it takes her 10 years to write. I almost said a novel because they read like novels, but to write a, you know, big, substantial, thoroughly researched book like she does. Um, there's a piece she wrote, I think maybe for... The New Yorker called A Sudden Illness. It used to be available free online. I don't know if it still is, but it's an essay about her personal history and her experience with chronic fatigue. And I'm recommending it to anyone who just wants more Laura Hillenbrand before 2039 or 29, if we're lucky. I, I would love to read those books. Anything she writes is just, I, I, from what I've read, is it, just so good and 100 pages go by and no one's heard from you <laughs> <laughs> i love to find an author like that eli what is a book that you don't see i've been afraid to say hate <laughs> recently eli tell me what you hate i i don't like saying hate either because i know a lot of work goes into a book so and to and to say i hate is is really rough on the author but I really, and I can say it because I know it wasn't supposed to be really released, but Ghost of a Watchman, I hated. And, and I hated it because I had never read To Kill a Mockingbird, and I read them in order. I read To Kill a Mockingbird and then Ghost of a Watchman, and I was so disappointed. Were you leery going in? Uh, I hadn't been warned by my mother-in-law that it wasn't great, and I was like, well, I mean, for such a great author – how could it be bad? But then I, she, it just left me sour. I see what you mean. And we've talked, you are not the first reader to mention that on the podcast because it feels like uh, almost outside the normal bounds when it comes to judging a book and what you thought about it, just because of the way it was taken to press so recently yeah. and so late in our life and under circumstances that were a little uh, murky. Is there anything you've read more recently that 
just hasn't been to your taste? I, I loved um, The Last Bust of Wisdom, so I thought I'd pick up another book by Ivan Doig. And I, I couldn't finish English Creek. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't moving fast enough for me. I know that it has a speedy end, and someone had told me that, but it just was kind of moving slow. I mean, there's only so much you can learn about Montana life early on. And... <laughs> <laughs> I've never read that one, but I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? Um, okay, so another thing. I, I'm reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh-huh. First time, tenth time. First time. Never read it before. Can't put it down. It's really good. I mean, it's. I'm not ashamed to say that I I'm I love reading Harry Potter. What made you pick that one up now? It's been staring at me on the shelf. So when it was coming out, I was too cool to read it, and now <laughs> I'm realizing that it's not it's not important to be cool. I'm not in high school. I want to make some joke about Mr. Collins. Uh, Jane Austen would have fun with that one. Oh, she'd love it. She, <laughs> I think she'd love Ron. I, mostly. <laughs> I was thinking with you. I think she'd love to mock high school boys who think they're a little too cool for school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Every once in a while, I'll get a re- recommendation for authors who are the current Jane Austen. And while I always enjoy reading them, it's just not the same. I wish there were more than six. And I wish she could have commentary on the guy in the Verizon line and the high school boys and not just, you know, the people wearing bonnets, but oh well, a girl can dream. Eli, what do you want more of in your reading life or what do you want to be different? I want books that I can pick up and read and not feel like I'm forcing myself through it. So there was a a time where I was reading and reading and reading and I just wasn't feeling like I was spending my time productively when the characters aren't really building themselves productively. So I, I want to have a more like a fast moving pace when it comes to reading. Your picks with the Ishiguro and Laura Hillenbrand and reading Ivan Doig, like those are, those are some serious hefty books. Are you, are you looking for stuff that has like top literary merit? Are you looking for a good read? Are you looking for both or do you not really care help me out here okay so my wife she's gonna hate that i say this but Uh i i really tried to read some high literature like i was i was picking up um dubliners by james joyce i was picking up uh uh, virginia wolf and i I was i was in these books and i was i was really liking it but i was like i am so confused (laughs) 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 I was like, I, I know people love this, but I, uh, I really can't follow what's going on in her head and how he's talking. And, and, and so I think I'm kind of segregating or separating the, the high literature and just going with books that I love reading. That's, that's what I want. Okay. So if we're looking for funny and if we're looking for books that suck you in that you don't want to turn down, it's okay if they're not being assigned reading in MFA curriculums across the country? Yes. And it's okay if I 
talk to my wife about Ron and Harry because <laughs> she still loves that and she kind of wishes that she was reading Harry Potter right now, I think. <laughs> I can imagine how that would be the case. Well, Eli, I have ideas for you and thanks for giving me a little more to go on and we will get to them right after the break. Eli, welcome back. Thank you. It's been really fun to talk to a man who likes Jane Austen. So thank you for that. But You're welcome. <laughs> but I feel like it also really raises the standards. It makes me nervous. Okay. Eli, I have four ideas for, me, for you. I need to narrow it down to three. Um, I'm not really sure what to go on. Okay. We want funny, right? Yes. We want absorbing. Absolutely. And the writing has to be at least pretty darn good because Jane Austen and Harry right. Potter, you know, that is that people talk about as like, oh, you know, page turner, whatever, not high literary fiction, but she is really good. So, okay. What's, you mentioned dragons. Yes. What do you think about Neil Gaiman? Have you ever read anything by him? No, I've never read anything by him. Okay. Well, that's the position I was in. A few years ago, um, I don't read a ton of fantasy. So people who do read tons of fantasy love Neil Gaiman and people who stay away from the genre are often advised to start with him. So I'm going to suggest that you try The Ocean at the End of the Lane has a really pretty cover. If you find this in hardback, it's just a really beautiful little book and it's short, which you mentioned is not a terrible thing. So I don't want to tell you too much about this besides that it's less than 200 pages. Um, this is, ex well, if you believe in genre distinctions, this one was written for adults. And let's see, what we have is we have an odd family. And the story kicks into gear when we have an unnamed man. He's our, he's our storyteller here. He returns to Sussex because he needs to go to a funeral. And when he gets to his childhood house or the place where it was, he remembers the this farm of a friend of his that was at the end of the road and he's just drawn to it. He doesn't know why. And all of a sudden, all these memories keep coming back to him of this very odd family and some very strange things that happened uh, a long time ago back when he was a small child. And it's Neil Gaiman. He's really great at building completely believable fantasy worlds that you both recognize as being very like the world you live in and completely other. It has this fairy tale kind of feel about it. And it's about childhood and magic and monsters. And it just like propels you through the story. You could read it in an afternoon or an evening because it is so short. How does that sound to you? That sounds perfect. There's a odd family in this. It's, it's exactly what I need. Well, he is prolific. So if you like this, you could keep going and going and going and go. You wouldn't run out for years. That's really good because my wife struggles to buy books for me. She doesn't know what to get me. <laughs> I think that's really hard. And I don't think it's just her or just you. When you're recommending books to someone that you know so well, you really want it to be a great recommendation. And it's, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. It's hard, but they're lower stakes when you're just talking to a fellow reader and not someone who actually shares your life and not just your taste in fiction or, yeah. you know, whatever the genre is. Okay. Book two. Have you ever read any Nick Hornby? No. 
here's what I like about him for you. So he's a contemporary author. He's British. You may know some of his books just because they've been adapted into movies like um, High Fidelity and About a Boy. Neither, Because if Hugh Grant did it, the odds are pretty good that you've heard of it somehow along the way. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I've, I've watched both those. Okay. So Hornby is a contemporary British author and like, <laughs> huh, I wonder if people have compared Nick Hornby to Jane Austen, but they have a lot in common. Like they write about family themes and personal relationships. They have a wry sense of humor. Hornby is sometimes out and out funny, but you know what I guess Austen is as well. The writing is strong. It's not Jane Austen. I don't know if people are going to be reading Hornby in 200 years, but that that doesn't matter because you're not going to be reading it in 200 years. You're going to be reading it today. So I like About a Boy because you have um, really sympathetic characters doing ridiculous things. So Will Lightman is our hero here. I love his name. It's symbolic, or at least I like to think it is. Um, His job is to be cool. He is very good at being cool and chasing women. And sometimes he's successful, but more often he's not. And if you've seen the movie, you kind of know the plot. He is very interested in the beautiful women. She's in a single parents group. He invents a toddler. He names his imaginary kid, Ned. And I don't need to tell you exactly what happens next, just that we have the makings of some Mr. Collins kind of ridiculousness, but it's not straight. I mean, Hornby is funny, but he's also very human, very sympathetic, um, very relatable. You want to see what happens. You care about the characters. And if you like this, there's plenty more novels you could read. It sounds like you have too much already in your stack. However, it's not a bad thing to know. There are more good books out there if you do love an author. How does that sound? It sounds really good. I I love how he could be a character that I sort of relate to. <laughs> you Well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, and for book three, do you want to go oddball zany, sciency, or do you want to go more poignant, wistful, reflective literary? Ooh, that's hard. Uh, zany. I'd have to say that over poignant any day. <laughs> All right. Well, it's your show. Your call. Okay. Book three has been mentioned on the podcast before, but not directly by me. We are looking at Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. He is a screenwriter. He's very well known for his Pines series. And I like this for you because this is thoughtful, but it's also just, it's a little bonkers. So what happens in this book is a man, his name is Jason. He, um is living. He's living his best life, Eli. So lovely wife, lovely family, very happy doing work he loves to do. He runs out to meet a friend at a bar. Uh, It's in Chicago. He's in Logan Square. And so he runs out to get a drink with an old friend. And that is uh, the last normal thing he ever does. So he runs out and he is very shortly kidnapped by someone if I wanted to make this really interesting I would tell you who kidnapped him but you don't figure that out until way later in the book and while it might be on the flap copy don't read the flap copy just in case if this sounds interesting just dive in 
Oh, he's a physicist. That's important because dark matter is a physics term that actually means something. And that's a fun little reveal when you get there in the book, if you don't already know that as a scientist, but maybe the food scientists and the physicists don't, you know, study the same things past a certain point. So Jason is basically on a madcap, although scary, but mostly madcap adventure to rescue his current life from what the... (laughs) the big bad science guys want to do with it. So this is suspenseful. It's a little scary at times, but I mean in the like, oh, yikes sense. I don't mean in the Stephen King sense. Um, It's surprisingly poignant in places. And you should be reading this like it's a fun fiction ride, not like, oh, well, I'm trying to determine if this is actually realistic. Like that is not what Blake Cross is going for at all. So Hmm. quantum mechanics in like a Alice in Wonderland kind of setting. How does that sound to you? I like it. It kind of sounds like a combination of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Netflix's Stranger Things. (laughs) Dark Matter, though. So uh, I I think I could read this. I think uh, it's not too above me to think that I can learn about physics while I'm reading something a little zany. Oh, um... No, don't worry about that at all. There's no science you really need to grasp to get it. This is just a fun ride that happens to be kind of sciencey in subject. I'm all about it. All right, sounds good. Eli, of these three picks, what do you think you'll read next? Well, I think looking at the list, um, I think I'll start with about a boy. It, I need a, I need a character I can really associate with right now. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think of the book and of Will Lightman. <laughs> well, I, I hope Nick Cornby uh, has more than this because I am starving for more good books. I have a long list of uh, titles I want to read by him, So, but I've only read a handful. Uh, Funny Girl is high on my list. His novels tend to be, um, like if you look them up on Goodreads or Amazon, actually that's probably not true. If you look them up on Goodreads where the star ratings tend to be about a half star lower, he's like solidly mid threes. He's one of those authors that the people who love him really, really love him. And people that the writing's not for them, they're just like, meh, meh. But if he's for you, he's for you. And you'll find out. I can't wait. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Anne. I really enjoyed my time with you. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eli today. Head over to the podcast site to let us know what you think Eli should read next or to tell us what you thought about my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 67. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at what should I read next so we can see what you are reading. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Just go to what should I read next podcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.